Keshla, thank you, Yunyak, for sharing uh, the work that God is doing in your lives as well as as well as uh, around the world in South America. Um, uh, I want to kind of ask a uh, rhetorical question, so that means don't answer it. Uh, do you believe that God can raise uh, can raise a dead? That he could take something that was once alive, that died, and, and bring that back to life again. You believe that God can raise the dead. I'll tell you why I believe he can. There was a time, my younger days, when I was, uh, I was writing something very important. Um, wasn't using a computer, wasn't using a typewriter, just writing, using a pen, very nice pen. And after a while of writing, pen stopped working. I was like, oh my gosh, I started shaking it. I started, I got a scrap piece of paper, started scribbling around, and nothing would come out. Pen was completely dry, at least the tip of it. And so I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I heard that if you put on the bottom of your shoe and start writing on it, the, the rubber on your shoe is going to make the pen come back to life. And so I tried that, and then I tried to write. Nothing happened. So I took that pen, and I laid my hands. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to start working. Amen. And I started writing. And it worked. I praise the Lord. I believe that God can raise the dead. Well, let me tell you another time. There's a time my friends and I were driving. I forget who was driving. I don't know if it was me or somebody else. But the car uh, started sputtering. And so we pulled over to the side of the road. And the car just it stopped working. Tried to turn on the juice. Nothing happened. Turned the key. Nothing happened. Turned the, nothing happened. Open up the hood. I didn't. I had no idea what was going. On. I wasn't looking under there. I was just like, hmm, wonder. You know, kind of, that's what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed to look under the hood. So I got back in the car and I laid my hands on the steering wheel and I said, "In the name of Jesus, let this car come to life." Amen. I turned the ignition and it started working. Like hallelujah, believe that God can raise the dead. After Olivia and I had gotten married for about a year, we um, bought a home and moved in, got a lot of help from, uh, from family, and, and we moved into the house, and someone had given us a new, um, or not a new, it was new for us, it was old for them, a washer and dryer set. And so before, uh, I remember I had to go, we had to go on a retreat somewhere, and I remember I was low on, <laughs> I was low on boxers, so I took all that I had, I had like a couple extra um, for when I came back, but I took those, I went on a retreat. Somebody stayed at our house during the time. I forget who it was. Someone stayed at our place, and we told them, oh, yeah, whatever, you know, mi casa, su casa, whatever, you know, use everything. And they left, and they left a note that said, sorry, but your washing machine doesn't work anymore. Oh, my gosh, came back from a retreat, got all this clothes that I needed to wash, tried to work it, and it didn't work, right? Nothing would happen. So it was interesting because before we left, um, only warm water came out. So no matter what setting you put it, it wouldn't change to cold or hot, only warm water. So a lot of our clothes started shrinking, but it, at least it was clean. But now when we got home, after someone had used the washing machine, it was completely shot. Right? Nothing would work. And so I said, hmm, this is interesting. So I, thinking about my past experience of raising a pen to life and a car to life, I said, okay. So I laid hands on that machine. This is a little bit big. I said, in the name of Jesus, work again. Amen. And I pushed the button thinking that beep, beep, but nothing, nothing happened. So I said, oh, no, this is not good. The, the, like, electri- it was electronic, and, and nothing was working. Nothing was coming on. And so I unplugged it. I plugged it back in, and there's two letters flashed, PF, and then it went out. 
And I started pushing buttons and nothing, no noise, nothing would come on, nothing, anything. So I said, oh, this is interesting. I said, pray it again. Say, in the name of Jesus, start working. Amen. And I pushed the button, fully expecting it was going to work, and it didn't work. I was like, hmm, this is interesting. So I said, okay, I know what it is. God wants me to do like, kind of like Joshua in the walls of Jericho. I got to do it seven times and then push it. So seven times. I just tried to do it real quick seven times. I got to the eighth time. I said, in the name of Jesus, turn on. Amen. And nothing. I was like, oh, stink. And so I went online. This is what you do when you don't know what to do. And so I typed in the model and, this, and all this stuff. And I said, what happens? Doesn't come on letters PF flash. And I read all of these different 10 more whatever forums, and basically the consensus was there's nothing that can be done. <laughs> I said, oh, man, this is no good. But I, I said to myself, you know what? I think God really, uh, we don't have money to buy a new washer, washer right now. I think God really wants this to, to get fixed because he loves clean underwear. So I said, in the name of Jesus, let this machine come on. Nothing happened. So I went to sleep that night. I was like, okay, I'm down to my last one. God is going to getting a little bit weird. I want to do like in college where you're too lazy to do laundry, so you got to go to Walmart and buy a new thing, a boxer. So I said, Olive, how long can we go without a washing machine? She said, not very long. I said, okay. Woke up that next morning, and I put my hands on. I said, in the name of Jesus, please, God, we need this washing machine to come on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Unplugged it, plugged it back in, started pushing these buttons. All of a sudden, water started coming out. Like, ah, praise the Lord. Don't have to go buy new boxers. And I believe that day that God could raise a dead washing machine. Hey, do you believe that God can take something that's dead and bring it back to life? I hope you can because that's the reason why we're gathering this upcoming weekend. We're having a revival. Revival means to take something that was alive that is dying and to bring that back to life. Do you feel like you need a spiritual revival? A revival happens in individuals. I need a revival. Happens in churches. We need a revival. It happens in nations. America is in desperate need of revival. It happens globally. Do you believe that God can revive that which was once alive and make it alive again? Do you need a revival? Do you need a revival, a spiritual revival? Have you lost the wonder? Oh, the wonder of his mercy. You look at the cross and you're not moved by it anymore. You hear what's good news. You preach good news. You tell someone about good news, but it doesn't seem good to you. And it doesn't seem very new to you. Do you need a revival in your heart? When you used to hunger for the word of God, you used to wake up and the first thing you grabbed for was not your iPhone, but you grabbed your Bible because you're so hungry to look into it and to read it. And and you love soaking in and hearing the word of God. Do you need a revival? You used to long to, to come to prayer meetings. You long to be in the presence of God. It would be no problem to stay up all night praying and seeking and calling on God because you wanted more of him in your life. He used to be so real to you. You used to be so excited coming to church on Sunday mornings that now you just got to do it. You're just struggling to make it through the morning in order to get to church. And the only reason you're excited about coming to church is that the kids have help being played with. It's not all on you anymore. Do you need a revival in your heart? Do you feel like your eyes are dry? Your faith is old, your heart is hard, and your prayers are cold. And you know where you ought to be, alive 
to him and dead to me, to you. But you just feel like that's such a long and distant memory, and I don't know how to get to that place. Hey, if that's you, then let's talk. We need a revival. We need a revival. Faith used to be so high, used to be so strong. We used to pray about everything, and now we pray about nothing. We used to be so passionate about evangelism, but now people can die, and we don't bat an eye, and our hearts remain unmoved. You need a revival in your heart. Psalm 85 is a psalm of revivals written by the sons of Korah, these men of God who are priests, who are the also, like Asaph, worship leaders of Israel. And they would write these psalms as a way of instructing the people of God and teach them through song. We're going to read Psalm 85, a song of revival. And I just want to share two thoughts on what God might be saying to us as it relates to how our hearts can be prepared for revival. Psalm 85, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to stop for a second, and I'll read the next couple verses and stop, and then we'll read through the rest of the chapter. Psalm 85, for the director of music, okay, remember this being sung in the church, in the congregation, the temple at the time, of the sons of Korah, the worship leaders, a psalm. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people, and covered all their sins. There's a little word, selah. You see that in uh, other psalms here. Selah is a word that means, let's just stop for a second, let's pause. It's a literary term that means let's rest and think about what we've just heard. We can't go long hearing about things before they begin to become praise. We can't just be people who know all of this stuff but don't translate. They say theology, which is the study of God, must always lead to doxology, which is the praise of God. The more we know about God, the more that needs to be translated into worship. And so he says, let's stop for a second and think about this. We do this during our worship service sometimes when the praise leaders are, are playing a song and then there's no words that are being sung, but they're just playing instruments. This is time for us to stop and just think and to pray. And to pray these things that we've sung up there and to pray that into our hearts. This happens at the end of our worship service. Okay, you know that awkward time for some of us when after the benediction is given, we say, amen. And then the keyboard plays. And if it's sung, it's a good song. If it's not sung, it's kind of an awkward song. But plays a song, that's a time for us to say la, to rest and to think and to pray. You know why? Because I'll tell you what, we're so good at listening to things and being moved by things and hearing things and then walking out of here and doing nothing about it. So what we do during Selah, what that postlude is playing, is we're praying these things into our hearts so that the roots sink deeper, so that we actually remember it when we walk out and we actually live in it as we leave this place. Okay, that postlude is not time for me to find my purse, get my stuff, put my things in my backpack, pick up my Bible so I can walk out faster than everybody else. That's time for us to deepen the roots of the word and the experience as it sinks deeper and deeper into our hearts. So we're praying, reflecting, we're selah, resting. As you set aside all your wrath and turn from your fierce anger, 
Verse 4, restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Verse 6, I love this verse. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints, but let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is God's word. So this was written sometime, and we went through this series for 30-some weeks on the history of Israel from the beginning until the time Israel became a nation, and then the kingdom was divided. And at a certain point in time, they were exiled, means that the bad guys, Babylonians, came and they took them and they sent them away to a different land as their land was ransacked and savaged and and destroyed and, and wiped out and all that stuff. And so that was in 586 B.C., the exile was a time when they were kicked out of Israel. In about 539 or so, they were released to go back into Israel. So this is a time after the exile when they're back in Israel. They're back in their hometown. But they have done things against the Lord that's caused God's anger to flare up against them. And so what the sons of Korah are doing in verses 1 through 3, they're looking back at when times were better. Okay, two thoughts on revival. The first thing is remembering God's work in the past creates longing for revival in the present. Okay, remembering the work of God in the past creates longing for God's revival in the present. He's looking back and he said, remember when you showed favor to your land. All this past tense, you restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. So he's thinking back about the times when God was so faithful to them, when he was reviving hand was over them, when sins were forgiven, when blessing and curse, you remember in those days, blessings and curses were seen in nature and in war. And he's saying the blessing of God was upon the land. Crops were great. Everything was going well. This was our heyday when everything was going well. Today, blessing and curse are not seen necessarily in nature and war. They're seen in spiritual blessings. So as we were, if we were to do what the sons of Korah are doing, we're remembering to the time when the blessings of God were so real in our lives. You know, the Bible constantly tells us to remember the work of God in the past so that we don't forget, so that we can remember, so that we're reminded that whatever God has done in the past God is able to do that in the future and more. Okay, let me say that again. Whatever God's done in the past, he's able to do that in the present and the future and even more than that. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the God who revived in the biblical times, the God who brought about the great awakenings, first and second great awakenings, the God who brought revival in all these ways, that he's able to do that today? And if he healed the sick and raised the dead in those days, he's able to do that today. And so we're called to constantly remember. 
be reminded. For, for some reason this morning, I was in my office praying, and, and I, was, I was thinking about actually a sermon that I preached in, in one of our first mission trips in the Dominican Republic in 2006. So I was looking for that sermon in my computer, and I couldn't find it. And so I went to my shelf, and I pulled out my notebook from that mission trip in 2006. And I couldn't find the sermon, but what I did find were testimonies of people who went on that mission trip. So there was people like Yeti Han. There was people like uh, Biggie, David Kim, Tim On, and Nathan Ward, and Josh Park. I was reading the things that God had done, and then I, I saw a letter that I had written to all of my supporters about what God had done on that mission trip. As I was reading that, it was like I was reliving those things. There was a testimony of one of our guys. You remember Brian? Brian has moved up to, to Gainesville. He was one of our worship leaders. But he had uh, some kind of a skin condition. For months, he had had this skin condition. And the doctors couldn't do anything about it. The medicine that they gave him, prescription meds, couldn't do anything about it. And there was this one time after a worship service on Sunday, actually a Sunday morning worship service, we invited people just to come up to receive prayer. And Brian was there and he received prayer. And he said instantaneously that he found healing. And I remember writing about that. People came to, to be prayed for who had head issues. They had mouth issues. Their bodies were cold as ice. They were sick. Like all kinds of issues. They came up to receive prayer, and all these people found healing, and they went home smiling and laughing and rejoicing that day. And as I was remembering those times, remembering some of the experiences during our worship services and, and things that people said and things that people did, I was just in my heart and in my mind, I was just asking, Lord God, would you do this again in our lives? To do this again in our lives. And I was thinking, that same God, this is who you are. This is the same God. Same God. Then, now. Same God here and there. Lord, would you do it again? Sometimes when I sing songs of worship, I'm, I'm taking back to, to times where those songs had such a particular significance to me. We sing, we're starting Harvest 201 uh, today or for the sixth time and every time we do it we sing this song every week called knowing you and every time i sing it i'm reminded of the very first time i remember singing that song that an old football stadium called rfk stadium in washington dc there's 50,000 men it was all men's it was a men's gathering 50,000 men there some of them were motorcycle riding tank top wearing tattoos all over them handlebar mustache and whole nine yards, huge guys, ex-football players. And I was sitting there in the midst of 50,000 people and we're singing this song, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. And watching these massive, hulking people weeping. There's nothing better in this life than you, Jesus. Sing, draw me close to you, never let me go. I think back to the time when I first gave my life to the Lord and how I would give everything in that time to know that you're my friend. To hear that over me. Because remembering God's work in the past creates a longing for that same kind of revival, the move of God in the present. Do you need a revival, y'all, in your life? You think back, think back. When was God nearest to you? When did you feel that intimacy and experience that intimacy? The closest how far back does your story go? I know it should go back a long time to when you first started walking with Jesus, but it shouldn't have to be, and it shouldn't have to be that the chapters should, there should be a lot of chapters in our journey, and the last one shouldn't be too far behind. But for some of us, it is. For some of us, it's that mission trip in 2006. 
For some of us, that's at a retreat in 2001 when I first came to know Jesus. Whenever it is, that's fine. But let the memory of what was become a longing for what could be. God wants to revive our hearts. And I'm not saying this in advance. Friday is good and Saturday is going to be a cattle. It's going to be a step in the journey. But revivals take a long time. Friday is going to be a catalyst. It's going to be a kickstart to that journey. But I'm asking that we be involved in it for the long haul. I shared this last year, but I've always been a student of revival. You know, this is why I, I, I part of the reason why I love being an intergenerational congregation is because there are stories that need to be told. There are stories that the older people have that need to be shared with younger people. There are stories that, that need to be told that isn't just about, you know, five years ago when I was. If this is the beauty of having an intergenerational congregation is that people who've been walking with the Lord for a long time can tell stories of old so that we can hear those and say, is that really true? Can God still do that today? I remember reading in the newspaper some years back that schools were thinking about getting rid of history classes and replacing it all with with, with computer classes because they said history is impractical and everyone needs to learn how to use computers. And I thought, what a tragedy that would be. Because if we don't learn from the lessons and the mistakes of the past, then we will be bound to repeat them. But not only that, history is a storybook of God's sovereignty, God's providence, God's faithfulness, and answered prayers through the ups and downs of life. And as we read about, as we hear about these things, the memory of the law of of days of old becomes a longing for what could be. Last year, I was uh, at at JGen conference where I was this year as well, and just hanging. One of the reasons I love going is because there's a pastor there whom I, I deeply respect has been walking with the Lord for many, many years, and his church has produced so many workers, kingdom workers, faithful workers. They have uh, <laughs> a Thursday night prayer meeting goes from 10 o'clock until 3 a.m. Every morning, they've got morning prayer. Saturday prayer meeting goes to 6 until like 11 a.m. Oh, just crazy. It just, they, they fast all the time. And so they see miracles of God all around. And last year he was sharing, and this was particularly important to me because I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. And I've always heard about times of revival in, in the late 80s and the early 90s. And, and me being a middle school student in the late 80s, I, I don't think I fully caught all of that, that, the fullness of that earthquake. I saw some of the aftershocks, but I remember growing up in church and every uh, Friday night I would follow my brother to our youth ministry gathering and the church van would be there and we'd hop in and we'd go to a church and there'd be a revival and people would give their lives to Christ and they'd say, anyone want to be a missionary? Anyone want to be a pastor? And all these people would stand up and, and all these people would go into the work of God. And a lot of these guys are my mentors, my Bible study leaders, my pastors in, in Virginia. And as we're hearing the story so this pastor in Illinois is telling about how he was there as one of the praise leaders during this revival time. He would be one of the guys, there was a band called Alpha Omega College students from Illinois. They would go around and they would travel and they would just lead worship at different retreats. College guys driving everywhere, all around America. And they would just, they longed to see revival. In 1987, there was this one gathering in, in, in Maryland. And they said this was kind of the genesis of these great, famous revivals amongst Korean Americans that broke out and lasted for several years. That at that gathering, I think it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it was at a, an American church called Fourth Presbyterian, had a youth revival. At the time, there were no 
English congregations in Korean churches, no adult EMs. It was just a bunch of youth ministries. And so there was a, this gathering, and they said at that youth revival, a thousand youth from the D.C. area came. They said it started at 7 o'clock, but by 5 o'clock, hundreds of students were lined up waiting to get in. Can you imagine that? Two hours before the worship service begins, people are just lined up waiting to get in. We just want to meet God. And as dinner was served to some of these band members, they said we couldn't, they couldn't even eat. Such a hunger for God. Just want to go pray. So the band went into this room and they just started praying, Lord, would you rain down in this place? And they were just calling out, crying out to God. And he said at the end of their two hours praying before, that they looked up and there were hundreds of youth students. They were on their faces praying for revival in that generation, in that land. And when praise time came, they, literally they sang, God is so good. God is so good. No, no, none of this like, ding, 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 ding. Just like, none of these crazy things. Just, God is so good. He said, just the spirit of God fell in that place and people just started weeping, breaking down, seeking God. How this place's massive revival came forth. Revival is not seen by how people respond there. It's seeing in the lasting fruit of that. And so many of my Bible study leaders came out of that. They say, we gave our lives to the Lord in that 1987, that series of revivals that went on until 1992. And one of them was my Bible study leader my freshman year in college. One of the guys who just got just captivated by it. And he was a revivalist in Northern Virginia, prayed like crazy, saw all kinds of miracles, and he would tell me stories. And as I would hear that, I would say, is it really possible? Can God really do that still? Can God still do something like that? And he would talk about how he would pray for revival. He said, God, show me that you want to bring revival to our campus at UVA. And as he was, he was praying, he finished praying, and then he wanted to watch the UVA football team on TV. There was a game on, and our team was not very good. We were good in the day, but had hit some hard years, lean years, and then we had a great recruiting class. And so as he turned on the TV, the game was starting. The first thing that came on the screen, it said, revival, big letters, revival. And it said, UVA is experiencing a revival. He was talking about the football team, but Simon knew in his heart then that God is going to do something that's going to shake the very foundations of this campus like nothing ever seen before. And they would pray, and they would get on their knees, and they would fight for it, and he would take me a freshman, sophomore year, junior year, and we'd go and we'd pray at different points on the campus. We'd see miracles, divine encounters, amazing things. And he passed that longing for revival on our campus into my heart. And, and I would tell people stories of things that God had done and, and through prayer, how miracles had been born. And, and I, I remember I prayed and I said, God, I want to see this with my eyes. I want to see it. Please don't let me leave this campus until I see revival. And my fourth year, and I stayed another year doing campus ministry, we saw so many people come to know the Lord Jesus. Every week we had people sharing dramatic testimonies of Frat boys, frat girls, sorority girls just being transformed, promiscuous lifestyles being, just crazy things happening. 
And I remember saying, God, I want to be part of this. I want to pray that breakthrough happens in a broad level. And at the end of my last year at UVA, I wanted to stay longer, but I felt God saying, will you pray for revival even if you never live to see it? Do you long for the glory of God on this campus that much that you would pray for it even if you're not around to see it? Because you see, when we long for revival, guys, this affects generations yet untold. It's not just about us and our joy and our enjoyment. It's about our children and our children's children. It's about people that are not even born yet and, and making sure that there's a church for them when they grow up. And so I remember moving down here. I moved up to Northern Virginia, and then I moved down here. And about five years after I left UVA, I went back to campus. I was preaching at a retreat, and there were some people there, and they said, we heard about revival. Can you tell us more about it? And they said, are these dreams still alive? Do you believe that God still can do this in our campus? And part of the reason I still go up to Virginia, so involved in the ministry up there, is because I feel like part of my heart is buried there in longing for revivals that I prayed for and invested into. I go back there, these two brothers, and they would constantly just ask, hey, you know, this is what God is doing. Is God can still, can he still revive? And as they pass on this legacy of longing for revival, they were saying, God, you can do it. I mean, we want to see you do it. We need to see you do it. Because a longing, a memory of the past becomes a longing for what could be. And that's what he does in, in verses 10 through 13. He talks about a better tomorrow. What could be when love and faithfulness, righteousness and peace, faithfulness, righteousness, all of these things, the Lord will give what is good. The land will yield its harvest. Don't you want that? And don't you want that for our sixth graders? And not just being like handsome, cute, but that they would, they would experience God. They would know Jesus. Their lives would never be the same. They're world changers here. You teach these young people with faith to pray. They're going to shake the world. Last week, we had Lila Gomez was born. We got Isabel back there, that these kids would, would have a church that's vibrant, that's alive, and go and change the world. Because remembering what God's done in the past creates a longing for what God can do in the present. The second thing we see in the middle verses here then, that revival is God's work, but he lets us play a part. Revival is the work of God. You see this in verse 4. See this in, in, in verse 4. Restore us again, O God, our Savior. Put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? That your people may rejoice in you. Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Verse 4, he says, restore us again, O God. Verse 6, will you not revive us again? The sons of Korah are absolutely certain that this is the work of God. And God alone can do this. And they're saying, God, do it again. We've heard of the things that you've done. Would you come and would you do it again? Right, we've heard stories. We haven't seen it yet with our eyes. But if we've heard and it's true, then God, will you do it again? Lord, would you revive us again? 
Would you restore your people? Would you do it again? I was thinking about this, and I, there was a couple ways that I wanted to illustrate this, but I'm going to put one of our guys on the spot. So we got this guy, John Oogs Kim, handsome, dentist, single, loves to play basketball, jumps really high. And there are times where we go to these basketball courts, and it'll be a little bit lower than regulation, maybe a nine-foot rim. And John would do these crazy dunks on them. He would like jump in the air, do a 360, put it through his legs and dunk it. And he would say, ah, and everyone would be like, oh my gosh. And so people would hear stories of the fame of Oogie. And so we're hanging out at this place. And someone, some young boy says, John, I heard that you could do a 360 under the legs and dunk it. Is that really true? And everyone's like, yeah, it's true. No one else can do it, but he can. They're like, oh my gosh, would you do it? Would you do it again? You do it again, just so that we could see, that we could see that it's real. He's like, oh, I don't know. How much do you really want me to do it? This is like little sixth grader, cute little guy. Please, I'll do anything, anything just to see it. I'll get on my knees and I'll beg. And I'll plead with you, please, would you do it? Just this one time, just one time. John, he can do it anytime he wants, but moved by the plea, innocent plea, do it again. He does it again. And the crowd goes wild. They're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is amazing. They're like, you alone can do this. You alone of all people can do this. And they rejoice in John and in his work. But there was one boy who couldn't hold his bladder and had to go to the bathroom. And he came running out and he's like, what's all the, what's all the commotion? He did it. He did it again. Like, oh, if only, if only I was there to see it. This is the longing of the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, O Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them. Renew them in our day and in our time. Make them known. Do it again, Lord, because you alone can do it. No one else can do this. You alone can do it, God. Would you revive us again? Will you not revive us again? You see, because people can imitate and people can mimic. So they lower the rim to about six feet and other people are doing this. It's not the same. Because genuine revival, we can mimic the revival songs of old. Revival is not about having loud music, and it's not about having people lift their hands and cry. It's not even about people making decisions to come forward. Revival is seen in its fruit, and you want a lasting revival. It's preceded by lasting prayer. How much do we want revival to come? How much do we want it? I know we want it, but how much do we want it? 
And how much do we long for it? That revival that broke out in 1987, there were a handful of women that prayed and they fasted 40 days. And one, one lady who fasted, I think, for, for 50-some days, praying, Lord, revive a generation, revive a people. This D.C. area is so important. It is so vital. Lord, if you revive this area, you can touch the world. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed on their faces, calling on the name of Jesus, coming together saying, Lord, would you revive a people again? The revival is the work of God, but he invites us to be a part of it, to say, will you join in prayer for the sake of revival that you may never even see, but that generations will rise up and call you blessed if you take part in it. See, John could do that dunk. He did it because a little boy asked him to do it, but how silly of the little boy to say, yeah, you know, he did it, but I'm the reason why. I'm the one who really did it. How silly would that be? The fact that he got to play a part in it to see something so glorious that in and of itself is its own reward. You're willing to pray for something even though your name may never be attached to it. You're willing to pray to be, even if you're anonymous in this land, even in order that you might be famous in eternity. Is it worth it? We long for revival that much. Is our future worth it? Is Jesus worth it? That we would lay down everything in order that a revival would come. Leonard Ravenhill, one of my favorite preachers, says, in our church today, we have so many organizers, but very few agonizers. A lot of people interfering with the work of God, but not many who are interceding. Are you interfering the work of God or are you interceding? We had a lot of people who pay, but not a lot of people who pray. We got a lot of fears, but few tears. We're more concerned about being air conditioned than we are about being prayer conditioned. And I know this myself, that if a pastor is not praying then I'm going to be playing. And if a congregation is not praying, then I promise you, you will be straying from God. In the area of prayer, never has so much been left to so few. That God has always, always just been looking for someone. And I believe with all of my heart, since I hear this and I read this, that God can use one weeping prophet still to revive a nation. One weeping prophet to revive a nation. And throughout the Bible, he's always just looked for one person. It was Abraham standing in the gap, pleading between Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Moses who stood between the living and the dead in the book of Numbers when God said, get away, I'm destroying these people. And Moses said, if I perish, I perish. Let me get in there to fight on behalf of the souls of a generation. It was Esther. And then you get to the book of Ezekiel, post-exilic times. And it says, God looked for a man to stand in the gap. But he found none. So you see in verse 8, everything changes from this language of we, will you revive us? It says, I will listen to what God will say. 
Because at a certain point when we long for revival, it has to begin with me. As much as we want corporate revival, it has to begin with personal revival. I need to be the first to be revived. If I'm praying for revival, then God, it has to begin with me. I need to be changed. I need to be revival. Nobody prays well who does not live well. Our lives need to be revived. Our lives need to be changed. We need to be renewed. We need to be restored in order for us to plead, oh Lord, would you do it again? And when God looked for a man to stand to the gap amongst the living and the dead in the book of Ezekiel, he says, I found none. And I wonder what he would find in our generation today as he looked for a people to stand in the gap. Would he find one? And so we say, along with many other scholars, that every psalm can be sung by Jesus and every psalm can be sung about Jesus. Because Jesus was the one who would stand in the gap between the living and the dead. He was the weeping prophet who wept for Jerusalem. When he was about to die, he said, don't cry for me. Cry for your children because they don't know who I am. Cry for your children if you're going to cry for anyone. Only God can do this. Only revivals must be heaven sent. That, the other day, I was, yesterday, I was, I was at home for, for dinner, and before I ate, my daughter Manny was there, and I started singing, May I Never Lose the Wonder, just like this, with my hands, with my eyes closed and my hands up. I said, May I Never Lose the Wonder. And Manny looked at me, and she said, I know that song. And she started laughing, and she closed her eyes, and she lifted her hands, and she said, May I Never Lose the Wonder. And she thought it was such a funny thing that she was imitating what I was doing. But in my heart, I'm saying, God, help her to get it. I can't force this on her. I can't shake her until she gets it. God has to do this. How helpless am I as a parent to know that I cannot awaken spiritually a person? How helpless am I? I cannot bring a revival in one person, let alone in, in many God, you have to do it. You have to do it. Revivals are always heaven sent. Do you pray for your people like that? Do you pray for them like that? Or is it all about you doing these things in order to make this happen? It's not. Because it's the work of God. It is only the work of God. He lets us play a part in it. So Elijah, I was taking out the trash Friday morning and he wanted to help. And he said, dad, I want to help you. I said, what can you do? But okay, so he puts on his shoes. I'm carrying out the trash. I put it in our garage trash can. He says, Daddy, wait, wait. It takes him forever to put on his shoes. He says, Daddy, wait, I'm coming. And so he comes, and I start rolling the the trash can out on his wheels. And he says, Daddy, I'm going to help. And he puts his hand on the thing. He's not doing anything but slowing me down. So I'm afraid I'm going to run him over. So I'm walking, and he's looking at me, and he's laughing, and he's smiling. We get to the end of the driveway, put it down, and he claps, and he says, Yay, I did it. I said, you can know the joy of being involved in the work of your father. But you will know soon enough that it was all daddy's doing. We get the joy of seeing our names written in the headline of heaven. And to say that they knew us in heaven only because we pointed on this life, in this life, to our Father. It was all the work of Daddy. All the Father's work. 
because he sent his son Jesus to do that which we could not do, to become the bridge to life in order that we might be revived. The only one alive took death upon himself in order that we who were dead could be made alive in him. The wonder, the wonder of it all. So this week, as we pray towards our revival, as you think of Psalm 85, I want to invite us just to make one commitment. That you set your alarm on your phone, on your watch, 8.05, morning and night. Take some time to pray for revival. Pray for revival. Could you do that? Would you do that if you're with people? So stop and just say, let's pray together. Pray together. Every morning as you're driving to work, as you're on the bus to school, every night after you finish dinner, as you put the kids down, let's pray. Let's pray together. Be united in spirit. Let's pray, Lord, would you not, will you not revive us again? Take a minute right now. Our praise team is going to come up, and we're going to uh, pray through a song, two songs. Let's just pray. Simple prayer. Lord, would you not revive me again? Would you not revive us again? Simple prayer. Simple prayer. I'll close us, and then we'll sing out of here. Simple prayer. Lord, will you not revive me again? Lord, would you not revive us again, so that we may rejoice in you. Let's pray together. Jesus, that you would revive us. Holy Spirit, revive us again. Lord, that you would revive us again. Lord, that you would revive us again. My youngest youth, our oldest adult, Lord God, that you would revive us again. Not just within our congregation, Lord God, but our children, Lord God, the babies of the church, Lord God, the generation to come. Lord, would you revive us again. Lord, would you revive the children of Harvest? Lord, would you save the children of Harvest? Lord, would you revive the youth of a generation? Lord, would you revive the adults of a generation? That we would turn away from sin, turn away from earthly things, Lord, that you would awaken our hearts to love. Be our singular aim, Lord God. Be our one desire, Lord God. Lord, that you would do it again. Lord, that you would do it again. Lord, that you would do it again. Father in heaven, we pray the prayer of Habakkuk. Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them, Lord. In our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And so as we pray, and as we in a moment will pray through a song that your glory would fall in this room and go into the nations, as we pray, Lord, in just a moment through a song, the world is yet to see the full release of your promise to church in victory. Lord, we pray that as we sing it and as we pray it, that every ounce of everything within us would rise up and this would be our plea. Lord, that you would make us a church victorious for all the world to rejoice in you. We need you, Lord God. Oh, we're desperate for you. Visit us. Meet with us. 
In Jesus' name we pray.